So let's get into the scripture this morning, and and I'm going to read from 7 through 13, and we'll see what the Lord has for us today in looking and examining this church. Starting in verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit to the churches says to the churches. This morning we're looking at what is the church. This is we're wrapping up our series. And why are we doing this series? We're doing it because as we get ready for what's happening on the seventh, as we continue as a church, we're living in a culture that that culture wants to determine who the church should be. You know what I mean, right? That let's get away from what the Scripture says and let's get into what society says is the norm. I'll use one, one issue that we've heard from various churches already, the word tolerance, right? That we have this, uh, this soundbite that's roaming around all over the place that says that we need to be tolerant. We need to be tolerant of this or this or this or this. And yet Jesus says, I hold this against you that you tolerate the teachings of the Nicolaitans. I hold this against you that you tolerate this woman Jezebel. And, and if you don't know what we're talking about, I encourage you to go back and look at, at those churches, Pergamum, Sardis, and see what he's talking about. Here's the fascination is that we need to get back on track with what Jesus expects from his church, because that's who matters. That's who matters. Because if we start going by what I think the church should be, we're going to get a little loopy. If we start going by what John thinks it should be, we should be somewhat okay, but we could diverge a little bit left or right. And I don't even want to think about what this church would be if we followed what Roger was thinking. It would be incredible. So this morning, why the church at Philadelphia? Because it's next in line. So let me share with you what's, what they're known for. And, and you have some sermon notes here. That's where Philadelphia is. Let me give you just a real quick background. Philadelphia was like the gateway. See how everything to the left, other than Laodicea, was pretty much the churches of Asia Minor that, that John's addressing. Where Philadelphia is, it's in the hill country, and it was the gateway leading all the way from Syria, Lebanon, into that area. And it's a rural community. They were winemakers. They harvested grapes. And uh, they were just a small little church. Small little church that kind of thought they were insignificant. Yet Jesus decides to address them. And I think you'll be amazed 
at how they were addressed because they're very different than the other churches. You see, the church at, 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 at Philadelphia was termed the obedient church. The obedient church. This morning as we do so, I need to give you kind of an illustration to help you understand. How many of you are iPhone lovers? Some of you guys are iPhone lovers. Lyndon's got his iPhone back there. Trish got, you got your iPhone? You got your, Steven's got his iPhone. It's fantastic. How many of you have heard about the new release of the iPhone 6 is coming? Yeah? How many of you are going to go for that? You want that iPhone 6 already? Yeah? Yeah? Ching, ching. The iPhone 6 is coming, folks. And I think just like this church, this is the sixth church, and they got it right. I think that's what's going to happen with the iPhone 6. They're finally going to get it right. You know what's interesting is, is and here's why I just, you guys know that, that I love Apple products like I love a severe beating upside the head. And, uh, and so here's why. You want to know why I have a problem with this? It's not necessarily the materials. Although what I hear from you all, you sycophants over iThings, is that it's just so great, but it's not. Oh, it's got this problem, it's got that problem, it's got the other I can't wait for the next one because the next one's going to be perfect, right? So here's my little beef is this, this next shot. That Apple knows how to bilk dollars out of you. With Apple products, it's all about the accessories. And you know what? I bet somebody would buy that. I bet somebody would buy that. The eye dangle. That is unbelievable. So here's, uh, here's Apple's approach at reaching out to the older community. The effort to infuse them in. Um, now this is interesting. You know, but, but here's what I heard about Moses is that all those tablets broke. Oh, thank you. I'll be here for at least another half hour. The obedient church in Philadelphia. You know, here's the thing. I overheard this. I overheard this. Don't mention it to anybody from R&D, uh, from Apple, if you know any of those people, because it may or may not be true. But I heard that, uh, you know, Siri, Siri's, you know, the, the person that's inside your phone with Apple, right? You talk to Siri and you ask Siri questions. And, uh, you know, it used to be Steve because of Steve Jobs. And they could hear people, when they'd walk by R&D at Apple, they'd be testing this out, and they'd, be, you know, they'd keep saying, you know, uh, Steve, tell me where, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, and it would not be right. And so what you would constantly hear out of the R&D offices and, and laboratories was, are you serious? Over, and, and then it started to truncate. Have you ever done that? So it became, are you serious? Are you serious? No, you guys aren't following that. You're not getting it. Okay, let's move on. Let's just, that was a transition piece. This is for your notes. You've got some notes there and some fill in the blank. Folks, Philadelphia was known as the what? The obedient church. Philadelphia was known as the obedient church. Someone once stated this, the time to teach obedience to authority is in the playpen instead of the state pen. One step forward in obedience is worth years of study about it. Quote from C.S. Lewis. One step forward in obedience is worth years of study about it. What's the problem we have with obedience? 
what is the problem? I know my problem. My problem is I'm not a kid anymore. And I can make all my own decisions. And I think they're pretty good, wise choices. The only challenge to that is most of those wise choices have to do with my own pleasure. And most of the time, they really don't have anything to do with the holiness and the will of God, which in fact, we'll see later in the Scripture, leads to a rewarding life. A rewarding life. And often when we are just left to make our own choices, which usually center around our own pleasure and our own agenda, what happens is that we end up not very happy. Not very satisfied. Which is amazing. It's, it's what I intimated earlier, right? That those who have everything sometimes feel like they have nothing. Because we're chasing after empty things. But not the church at Philadelphia. They were a rural church. They were a small church. But they were an obedient church. And we're going to see the significance as to what happens when we obey what God desires for us. Let's move forward. We have this matrix of the things that Jesus does within each of these letters to each of these churches. And that's how we've broken it down. The first thing is what? Jesus' self-description. And as we look at verse 7, He, he uh, describes Himself as the Holy One, the True One, who has the keys of David. What does this mean? This is actually a reference to Isaiah and, and you'll see it here in a minute, Isaiah 22, 22. And it's this idea out of Isaiah of someone who has the authority over the castle. I'm going to use the word castle instead of palace because I really, I think that resonates more in our Hollywood minds. And the person who has the keys can unlock any door within that castle or that palace. Unless you have the keys, you can't get through the doors. And so who really has the authority? And this is how Jesus describes Himself. I am the Holy One. I am the True One. The One who has the keys to David. <clears throat> Jesus is the One who has authority over all the kingdom. The keys are His. He is establishing to that church and to everyone who will read this that it is He who deserves the obedience because He holds the authority. How many of us have questioned our managers or our bosses thinking, yeah, you have positional authority, but you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, I don't think I'm going to really obey that because I know what I'm talking about. Wait till you're a manager or you're a boss. Let's move on. It's getting hot in here. All right. Do we exalt Jesus as the one, the only one who has authority over life? This is the question for us today. That if we're really about Jesus, we're really about living in, in relationship with Him, then the idea for us to wrestle with today is, is He the authority over my life in, in all things, in all ways? Let's move forward so we can answer that question. Do we exalt Jesus in our decisions? What areas do we proclaim our authority? Think about it. What areas do we proclaim our authority? This is a fascinating... I mean, I could just stop and we could be silent for a half hour and we could just keep writing and writing and writing. I think the trick, I think the trick to this is not to second-guess yourself all the time, but to fall in line with who Christ is and how He describes His desire for His children that is good, that is effectual. 
so that as we're faced with decisions on a daily basis, those just start to flow naturally. Why did you come to church today? Did you come to church today because Jesus is that authority in your life and you want to exalt Him? Or did you come to church today for various other reasons? What areas do we obey and honor His authority? How about this? Ethics, power, personal holiness, money. Just in case we had a problem writing some things down, I thought I'd throw a few up there. How does ethics affect us? When we're faced with ethical challenges, what do we do? What do we do when we're offered power? Do we treat it the way Christ did, with humility? What about personal holiness? Is our personal holiness standard the one that we deem as good and righteous and acceptable before God? Or have we really truly examined what His personal holiness standard is for us and come underneath that? Have you ever been off by just one number? playing the lottery just one number i remember no i don't i never played the lottery let's move on commendation that's the next thing that happens in all of these letters is commendation now this is fantastic because they get a great commendation that they're patiently enduring they're keeping god's word not denying his name this is in verse eight they keep his word that means you have to know his word right And that's one of the focuses that we have as a church is equipping our people or edifying them through the Scriptures so that we know in that moment when I have a crisis of decision of of maybe personal holiness and I'm trying to figure out what is it that Christ would desire of me, how am I going to know if I don't know His Word, if I'm not in tune with His Spirit? I can't. So I have to form that pattern of relationship with Him where I seek Him to be that authority in my life because He is good, He is righteous, He is powerful, and He goes beyond anything I can do to sustain me and to help me thrive. The church is singled out for their obedience. You know, I kind of wish, if I was one of these churches and, and I was getting this commendation, it would be for like, my strength, or my bravery, or my intelligence, or my charming good looks, or my ability to eat, or, you know, something, I don't know that I would go for obedience. Here's an award for obedience. They don't give those out, do they? Maybe we should start. Because I think if we capture this idea that the church of Philadelphia had, things would be much easier on us and we would have a lot more joy in our life. Again, you compare them to Ephesus. Ephesus is a metropolis, man. It's cosmopolitan. It's happening. It's hip. It's the city across the bay. This church, the church of Philadelphia, would be like Oakley. Sorry if you're from Oakley. I I, I meant no offense. You're actually the good church, okay? So wear that Oakley proud button, okay? But it's, it's, they don't see themselves as that terribly important. And yet, what does Christ commend them for? Their bravery, their worship style. No. Their obedience. And that's going to be significant. Look at what happens here. He says, you kept my word. You kept my word. How blessed have you felt in life 
when someone you have asked, you have trusted something with. And they followed it to the letter. Even when they weren't sure why they were doing it. But it demonstrated love back to you, right? It demonstrated respect back to you. Now we start to get a taste of what Christ is looking for. Now we start to see why Christ commends this little small church and holds them up as the one He appreciates the most out of the seven. You have kept My Word. As we move through commendation, He also says you've endured to hold up or conquer is this idea in the midst of difficulty. It's almost this idea of uh, being arrested or seized. Right? They hold fast. It's a picture... The word is actually holding fast. You've endured, you've hold fast. But it's, it, the best way for me to say is, is it's, it's almost like what we would think in modern days of being arrested or seized. You, you can't go anywhere. We'll get into that in a minute. But in verse 8, he says you know, that, that you hold up. You conquer in the midst of difficulty. In our own church, where is, where is CBC in the midst of difficulty? Have you had a hard time? I look out across the room and I look at our church family and I see people that I know some of your struggles. And I know that Christ would say, it really doesn't matter what I say, I know Christ would say, I have seen your desire to follow me. You did not ignore me in your time of difficulty. You pursued me in your time of difficulty. What about us? Would we be able to hold a candle to the church at Philadelphia? Why? Because we want to be like the church at Philadelphia? No, because I want to get the reward. I want to get the commendation that Christ gave to that church. Not the rebuke that He's giving to the others. Amen? Amen. Where are we holding up? Where are we obeying? Well, you heard a great testimony about it today, didn't you? That we're a church where even our our younger generation is stepping up with a decision that will affect them for the rest of their lives. They're obeying. They're obeying at great cost. And there's a joy to that. And so we as a church share in that joy, amen? And that's just one example. And we can go from person to person to person. People who have sacrificially given because they know that that's what God desires. And so we rejoice. What about these ideas? Do we hold up with truth? Remember, he says, you've kept my word. That's the truth. Do we hold God's truth over our own truth or our own version of the truth or the world's version of the truth? What about humility? Do we enter into situations like Christ would or do we try to win the day? And as I look out amongst you... I can give stories of practiced and demonstrated humility. Sanctification, big word. It means that uh, we do dishes. Right? So you're like, what? I hate doing dishes. But there's a process. In order to eat well, which I love, you've got to clean the dishes. And this is what Christ does to us. He cleans us progressively so that we can live well. So that we can thrive well. He's transforming us into His likeness. 
It's a step. It's a progression. You don't just hit the button, boom, hey, I have faith in Christ and now I'm perfect. I wish it worked that way. We will be that way one day when we're in heaven, when this race is over. But man, that's what defines a race, right? That's what defines a conqueror. And we see that word at the end of every single one of these churches. Blessed is he who conquers. See, running a race and conquering the race is to overcome the adversity during the race. Some of you heard me talk about tough skins. I had to run when I was a kid. My dad took me to these municipal track meets, and I think they were just like dog races. I don't know what was going on out there. But my dad took me and had me run in my tough skins. Every other kid's out there with like spandex on or something. I don't know. And I'm running in tough skins. Now, I was the hometown. Everybody cheered for me because they're like, poor kid. He's never going to make it. And they were right. I didn't make it. What about sacrificial giving? Ouch. Can I just tell you that I am incredibly proud of our church? And if Christ was to show up here today, I know He would talk about our church in this way. That we are a sacrificially giving church. Praise God. And if you're the recipient of that giving from someone in this church, just give up an amen right now. Enough said. You're all preaching it. Rebuke none. They had no rebuke. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a review? You know, some kind of a review? And everybody walks out from the review with some little, you know, you might have heard 10 things good, but you heard one bad thing. My daughter came home. She's one of my daughters. I won't say which one it is. Came home and she's really gotten into, into doing good grades. And so she got a lot of good grades. And then she had one that was good. The others were great. The other one was good. What do you think she focused on? The one good grade. Not all the great grades. We hate rebukes, don't we? Can you wrap your mind around the idea that if we went before the Lord and we were the eighth church, right? The church had conquered. And what was written down about us, there was no correction. There was no rebuke. In my mind, I say that cannot be done on this earth. It's impossible, but it's not. And so sometimes we look at God and we look at Christ as saying he expects us to be perfect. Do you think the church of Philadelphia was perfect? No, I don't see that anywhere in the text. Because Christ understands that we're in that process of sanctification and He's working with us. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. But He expects us to obey. And if we obey, guess what? We grow closer to perfection. We grow closer to Him. We grow closer to uh, presenting a likeness of Him to the world that becomes an effective tool for Him. He never said you had to be perfect. Church is filled with... If you're an imperfect person here today, raise your hand. Some of you are raising two hands. That's nice. I like that. There's no rebuke here. None. So here's a question for us. How does a church hold fast to their obedience? We have to keep Christ on the throne. Christ has to be paramount. It has to be Christ. This is the solution. Under the solution. Under holding fast to what we have, which is in verse 11. Jesus instructs the church to hold fast. And this is this picture of being arrested or seized. So how do you do that? You keep Christ on the throne. He rules the day. It's His opinion, not my opinion, not anybody else's opinion. I operate by that, and there will be no rebuke. I operate by that, that is the solution. Amen? Number two, speak truth. 
That is a hard and difficult thing. This past week, there have been individuals that I've been trying to lovingly come alongside and speak truth because they're heading into disaster. Guess what? They don't want to hear it. They're blinded. And they keep taking progressive steps and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. And I was tempted just to say nice things. I was tempted to just simply keep it as status quo as possible so they wouldn't get upset. But that isn't going to help them. Because they have to seek God's standard. God's desire to help them. God's desire to uphold them. And right now, they don't want to have anything to do with that. And that's written all over the pages of Scripture, by the way, about us. But I was tempted to hold back the truth. Because I didn't want the inevitable to happen. But you know what? That's in God's hands. And by the way, I can just email them some kind of Scripture and say, deal with it. (laughs) That's not how you do it. You do it lovingly. You do it lovingly like Christ did. Don't hold back in speaking the truth. Look forward to the reward of heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. I have my big, my big Bible for this Scripture. Because this is big Scripture. Alright, and you can turn there if you want. This is my workout program right here. And it says this, and this is the Scripture that I shared with, with George and Nathaniel and Bree on Tuesday, just moments before Diana passed. It says this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things not that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are are seen or transient or temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal do you get it there's a reward coming you don't get the reward at the beginning of the race you may qualify for the race you may get to line up for the race you may even get to run the race but you don't get the reward till you're done but guys that's what we're racing for so run well paul says run well how do we run well like the church of philadelphia We start with obedience, man. We start with obedience. And that works, that's the solution for us. That is the solution. And as we move forward, the consequence, there is no consequence of disobedience because there was no disobedience. Wow, no consequence. Remember that as a kid? I don't. I grew up in a horrible. No, no, I was just. I loved it when there was no consequence. And I still love it when God extends His grace and mercy to me. But I love it even more when there's no consequence because I'm simply living within the guiding truth of Jesus Christ. And that was this church. This is freedom, by the way. This is true freedom. You live in a world, I live in a world that says obedience means you subjugate yourself to somebody else and so therefore there's no freedom. Folks, can I just encourage you, get in line to obey Jesus Christ. Because there is immense freedom in that. It is Jesus protecting me from myself. There is immense freedom in that. By the way, because of obedience, unlike Siri, 
there's no dropped calls. Right? There's no excessive battery drain. Right? There's no broken screens. You guys are ready for me to be done with this illustration at this point? But it is a metaphor for our life, right? Each one of those points. Each one of those points. No drop calls is prayer. No excessive battery drain is, I can't do this. I don't have the strength. No broken screens, broken lives. That's what disobedience brings. But when there's no disobedience, we don't have to have that. Instead, we get a reward. He says this. He says a bunch of stuff that's really kind of janky here. I, I'm like, what is this stuff? I, you know, I don't need a pillar named after me. What? A pillar? Are you kidding me? I can put my name on my doorpost. Big deal. Let me tell you what you're getting, folks. Bob, tell them what they've won. Here we go. We'll have our name put on a pillar or we will be made a pillar in the temple of God. What this means, remember Jesus personalized every single one of these? You see, the church of Philadelphia was just on the outskirts of what was called a, a disaster zone. There was an earthquake in 17 AD that leveled one of the cities that was close. And, and Philadelphia was on the outskirts. They were actually on a fault line. And we went through this in 1984 down south in the Northridge earthquake. That we weren't necessarily down in Northridge, but we were on a fault line. And looking out of our window, we could see the hilltops right there above Lyons Avenue, what's called affectionately Hamburger Hill, I named it. And... Um, you could see those hill lines, and when a when a aftershock would hit, you'd just see the dust come up right where the fault line was. You could see it. And we had friends and friends in the church that were up in that area, and they'd stopped living in their houses because all those houses had been red-tagged. And guess where they were living? They were living in tents in the park. You think a church that had gone through that, and that's exactly what happened in the church of Philadelphia, they, a bunch of them moved out of the city, and they said... We're too scared. We don't want to live with all these big giant columns that are falling down. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you security. I will place you so you never have to worry. You will be a pillar in my temple and it will never fall. That's what's truly being said here. Isn't that fascinating? You see, he makes the reward connective to exactly what we struggle with and what we really desire. Inscribed with the names of God, the new Jerusalem and Christ. This is fascinating because if you go back to verse, I believe it's verse 10 and, and, and verse 9. He's talking about Jews that weren't really Jews. They were the synagogue of Satan and they were persecuting this church. And what does he say to them? He says, I am going to make them come on their knees and exalt you. How would you like your enemy, the person that's causing you so much grief, be forced to do that by God? And he says, this will happen because I own you. I own you. We are in relationship. You're mine. I remember one time messing around in my neighborhood. We were uh, <clears throat> Dorville ditching. <clears throat> Strike that from the record. That's back when it was legal. And uh, we were really good at it too. But we, we did the wrong house. And so we came around the block because we had people hunting us down. We were hiding in hedges and all this stuff. Came around the block, and I came around the backside of my house to my front yard. And here is 
the owner of a house down the street that we doorbell ditch. All we did was doorbell ditch his house. And uh, my dad's, and he's standing in the front yard and he's got a gun. And I'm like, and so I went in the house to change my clothes first. Then I went and I told my dad, Dad, uh, Mr. Miner's in our front lawn and he's got a gun. And I just want to let you know, we doorbell ditched his house. And my, did, my dad didn't ask me any questions. He walked straight out, walked right up into the face of the man that has a gun in his hand, and he said, get off my property. If you have a problem, file a complaint, but be gone. And I looked at my dad as a hero. A hero. Consummate bravery. Just walked right up to him, and I'm like, what? He's got a, you know, bah, 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 a gun! He just went up and got in his face on my behalf. Because my dad owns me. And he's going to protect me. Jesus will be their vindicator. Jesus will be their vindicator. Jesus will be their protector. Verse 10. Well, what about our church? Will Concord Bible Church be the ones who are what? Small in strength. I don't know if you caught it. I didn't really make a big deal out of it. I did mention it. How big is this church? They're small. Hmm, can we relate? Folks, you know you don't have to be a big church to be important in God's eyes. This church was nowhere close to the size of Ephesus. This, this church was nowhere close to the size of the one at Pergamum. This is a small little rural church. And so many pastors struggle. Because there's constant litany of, of beating the drum of the big church that's doing the latest and the greatest and mega this, mega that. And God bless them. They're doing a great work. God bless the church at Ephesus, right? I don't think Philadelphia was sitting there saying, those guys at Ephesus, man, they're just putting on a show. I don't think they were saying that. The church at Philadelphia was just obeying God. And they were satisfied with that. And guess what? No rebuke. No rebuke. I would much rather be a small church that is commended by God with no rebuke than to be a large church that's got a bunch of problems. So what about Conquer Bible Church? I believe we are small in strength. We're small and we have strength. And our strength is in Him. Holding fast in obedience to the name and the Word of God. I don't know about everybody in this church. I don't even know about myself. But I can tell you illustrations after illustrations that when it becomes difficult, many of you decide to follow Christ. Can I encourage you? That's what our church wants to be about. Get on board with that. And if you're struggling, and if you're tempted to give up, talk to somebody else. And if you're that somebody else, remember, Christ is on the throne. Speak truth. And what was the third one? You should have written it down. I don't remember. It's not up there right now. You'll go back over it. Lastly, those, uh, those who through their obedience to God are rewarded and protected. Are we that church? I believe so. I believe so. It's been my heart's desire to see us make an impact for the next generation through this church. And I've prayed and prayed and prayed that that would happen. So what does God do? 
God gives us a supernatural strength and ability through His power to do a program like Lifetime Summer Day Camp. He gives us the supernatural power to do Awana when we're a church that has nowhere close to the ability to do Awana. And yet He's blessed it. He's given people the supernatural ability to reach out to those who need parents and to adopt. He's given us supernatural ability on and on and on. And I believe God is answering those prayers to work through us. A small church, but a church of strength. The obedient church in Philadelphia. This morning I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to ask the men to come and prepare the offering. We'll close with a song. Remember two things as you leave today. Three things. Number one, following the demonstration of the church of Philadelphia. Number two, if you feel God encouraging you to be part of a ministry and you're not already or you want to adjust ministry, check and see what we need to do as far as tying into ministries out there at the kiosk. And then thirdly, Get your money in for that baseball game, folks. Let's make it happen. All right. And make sure that you, uh, you greet David and Mary um, as they're leaving today. Let's pray over the offering. Father God, thank You for the blessedness of the truth of Your Scripture. And I pray that it permeates every part of who we are. I ask, Lord God, that You give us the strength and the power to live an obedient life to You. That we catch those times that we struggle and, and even unknowingly, we just kind of operate by our own wisdom or lack thereof. I pray, Lord God, that as we give to You, we give so with, with uh, joyful hearts, and as You use this offering to Your glory, Father. Um, we trust in You. We follow You. We believe in You. Amen.